Welcome again, everyone. Welcome to Smyrna Campus. We love you guys. Glad you're connected with us today. Everybody that's connecting with us online, we're so happy you're here. This is an exciting uh, Sunday. Uh, I think every Sunday is exciting, but I'm the pastor, right? But, but this is an exciting Sunday because we're beginning a brand new message series called Stressed Out. <laughs> Can anybody relate a little bit? To be, not all the time, hopefully. But, but you have those moments where you're just kind of stressed out about things. And uh, we are going to be dealing with those things that can cause us to be stressed out, the, the things that are the most prominent things that could cause us to be stressed out. Uh, the theme verse for this series is found in Luke chapter 1, I mean Luke chapter 21, beginning with verse uh, 34. It says this, Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life, and that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. Jesus is describing the last days, the last age of the earth. Now, we've been in the last days since Jesus ascended back to the Father, and in this period of time, there are going to be people who allow themselves to be caught up in all the stuff, and they're going to be so caught up in all the stuff that they're going to be weighed down, it says, with anxiety. Uh, and it, it will close in on you like a trap, he says, because you're so caught up in everything. See, anxiety and stress can cause a lot of medical problems. It can cause a lot of physical, emotional problems. Uh, it has, I think, accelerated because of the pandemic and other world events and events here in this country. More and more things pile up on us, right? And now, if you are a parent or a teacher or you work with the school system, school's starting back. And so there's more anxiety, right? There's more. My kids, uh, some of you are taking your kids to school for the first time. Some of you are ready for them to get back from the summer break, you know. But some of you are just grieving the fact that you've got to drop your kids off with somebody else. And there's all this anxiety. Do they have everything they need? Are they pr fully prepared? Are they going to be able to keep up? Or how are they going to look compared to the other kids? All of that anxiety. How are they going to behave, right? Uh, all of those things can create anxiety. But with the pandemic and school starting back and all the things that are happening, studies are showing that, that anxiety is at stress and anxiety is at a very, very high level. In fact, as high as they've ever measured it. They haven't measured it forever, but as high as they've ever measured it, is the rate of stress and anxiety that people are feeling right now. You may begin sometimes because of the stress to feel like Job expressed in Job 9.25. He said this, My days are swifter than a runner. They fly away, and get this part, without a glimpse of joy. Sometimes we're so stressed out and so caught up in the busyness of everything that we don't enjoy our days. They're just going by one after another. We're just getting through. We're just surviving. But there's no real joy with what we're doing. And God didn't design us to live that way, to experience life that way. He wants us to experience joy. Now, not every moment of every day can just be, oh, this is great. That's not what we're talking about. But we are talking about an abiding joy that's constant, that's there, even in the middle of the stress and anxieties that we're going through. Now, here's the thing. The days are flying by, and you only get so many days, right? You, you only get so many days. Uh, it says in Hebrews 9, 27, it says, just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face the judgment. Uh, some translations say it's appointed for a man to once to die, and then the judgment. 
Now, we don't know that day, but we know it's coming. And it's coming faster and faster if you get caught up in the anxieties of life and days are just flying by and you're not enjoying them. It's going to be over soon. Aren't you glad you came to church to be encouraged today? You're going to die. That's the message today. You're going to die. But God wants you to have joy in the days. And stress can rob you of that joy. And that's why we wanted to spend some time on this series uh, Bubba was asked one time if he wanted to know, if he could, would he want to know when he was going to die? He said, no, I don't want to know when. I want to know where. They said, why would you want to know where? He says, because I ain't never going to go there. <laughs> Friends, even if you don't go there, it's appointed to a man wants to die. All of us are going to die, and then there's the judgment, and then it's too late to go back and enjoy life the way God wanted you to enjoy life. So we want to learn how to manage the stress of life. Now, studies have shown that there are four main areas of stress that we're going to deal with in this series, the four highest levels of contributing factors to stress. Uh, there have been several surveys that came out with these same things on the top of the list, okay? Uh, and we, we asked people to guess this yesterday at our event that we had, our, our summer celebration, and a lot of people were able to guess these top four stressors that we have in our lives. Uh, by the way, I, I want to take just a moment. Let's thank everybody that helped out with the event yesterday out at the camp. It was great. Yeah. Had a great time. That water slide was great. I loved it. But anyway, all right, I digress. Or what is it? Regress. All right, here we go. Uh, four main areas are contributing factors to the stress levels in our lives. Time, relationships, finances, and work. Those are the top four. Uh, time, in most surveys, comes out number one. Not always, but it's the one that most consistently schedule and time is number one stressor in our lives. So we're going to start with that one today, talking about the stress, time, stress that we have in our lives. Uh, we're going to die. There's only so much time. And I know we get busy, and I, and I know we all think about there's just enough hours in the day. I hear that all the time, right? There's just enough, not, uh, not enough hours in the day for all that I need to do. Uh, I always have to go to bed not having everything done. And I can relate to that. I, I'm sure many people listening today can relate to that. But, but the days aren't going to change, are they? We still are going to have the same number of hours tomorrow and the next day and the next day. So the key is we can't adjust the time. We don't even know longevity-wise, how many more days are going to be, but we know if we have another day, this is all their time there is in that day. So how do we manage that? Can't change the time, but how can you manage the time better? Manage your life better with the time that you have so that you can have some joy in it. Well, uh, we, we already know, right? We're all going to die. So have you heard the phrase, the handwriting on the wall? Right? So the handwriting on the wall means there's, it's already out there, it's already set, uh, it's, it's unchangeable now, there's the handwriting on the wall, that's inevitable. Okay? Well, that comes from the Bible, actually, that, that term, that phrase comes from the Bible, the handwriting on the wall. And I wanted to go to that Old Testament uh, occasion where that became something that people after that started saying, the handwriting on the wall. Let's go to Daniel chapter 5 in the Old Testament. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. Uh, we'll put these verses up on the screen as well. In Daniel chapter 5, beginning with verse 1, 
It says this, King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the kings and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. I want you to get the picture before we read the next verses. This is a pagan king, and his father had been a pagan king who, when they, when they went in and conquered and occupied Jerusalem and the temple there, they took all the holy things out of the temple back with them to their palace. And they had those goblets and all those things that were dedicated for use in the temple there in this pagan palace now. And now it's really a mockery of the one true God that they say, oh, we're having this big party. We're not worried about God. We're not worried about our lives. Everything's good. Let's celebrate. Let's even do this. Let's bring out those holy things that they called holy. Let's bring them in and use them for our sacred, in their minds, celebration of the pagan gods, mocking the one true God as if they were so successful and so powerful and so influential that they didn't have to answer to the God of Israel at all. They didn't, they didn't have any respect for him. And so they're mocking God as they drink from these goblets and have the revelry going on like, oh, life's just going to go on forever like this. It's always going to be good. It says in verse 5, suddenly... The fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. Now, I don't know if it was Adam's family kind of thing, you know, where it came out of a box, you know, and walked around. I, I'm not sure exactly how it happened, but uh, it could have just been a, the, the fingers. Uh, maybe the hand was there, maybe not. Maybe it was just fingers, but, but the fingers are writing on the wall. Can you imagine? Here they are just partying, celebrating, but listen to this. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale. He was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees, I like this translation, his knees were knocking. <laughs> Have you ever been kind of scared and shaken? And they talk about knees knocking together, right? Knees having fellowship with each other. They're not designed to do that, right? And, and so the knees are knocking and he's pale and he's, he's just He's taken aback by this image of the, the hand writing on the wall, the fingers holding whatever it was, or just writing with the finger itself, writing on the wall. And it was frightened. Now, the king immediately wants to try to figure this out. So it says in verse 7, he summoned the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners, and he said to those wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck, and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. He's a worldly king. He's a secular king. He's mocking the true God. So who's he going to go to for help? Not the true God. He doesn't believe in that God. He doesn't believe in the God of the, the temple that he stole the stuff out of and now is using, mocking that God. So he goes to the world 
the worldly counselors, the worldly advisors, the secular wise men of his culture to get the answers because he's frightened about his life now. You see, when you come to grips with the fact that your days are numbered, that there's writing on the wall, you want some answers, don't you? But where do you go? Where do you go for answers? Nebuchadnezzar had gone to his secular gods. Now his son is following in his footsteps, Belshazzar, to go to the secular gods to get the answers. And not a one of them could answer what it meant, this writing on the wall. See, I, I just want to bring this point up before we even get to the main points of the message. We have a culture full of people who are going to the secular world for answers to spiritual problems, and they don't have them. You can't have secular answers for spiritual problems. It won't work that way. Something else you need to know that's really clear in this is God will not be mocked, friends. It may look like the secular world is winning and advancing, but God will not be mocked. This king looked like hell was good. Everything was great for him, but God was not going to be mocked by this king. And now the writing's on the wall, and he's panicking, and he's wanting to know some answers. Friends, the writing's on the wall for everybody, for those that are in Christ and for those that are not in Christ. The writing's on the wall. We're going to have to answer for our lives. There is an end to this. And it matters what we do with the time that we have. Well, flip over to verse 25 here. We find that they search out because none of his people could answer it. They say, oh, we know somebody who may could do this, who may could answer this for you. Uh, we, we've seen that he's done things like this before. And so they call for him and ask him to interpret what this writing on the wall is. So they call for Daniel, and it says in verse 25, this is the inscription that was written, many, many, tekel, parson. Now, that doesn't sound like anything to us, does it? It sounds kind of like a nursery rhyme almost, something like that. But that's what was written on the wall. It's really three words. Many is there twice, but it's just three words. Many, tekel, and parson. Here's what these words mean, he said. Many, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. <laughs> your days are what? Numbered. And he's saying to him, it's quicker than you think. It's sooner than you're thinking. Tekel, you've been weighed on the scales and found wanting. You, your life is being measured by that God you're mocking right now. And as your life is being weighed out on the scales, guess what? It doesn't balance very well. Your life is found wanting. It's not where it needs to be. You haven't used your time that you had the way you needed to be using it. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians, other secular societies that are going to come in and overthrow him, and the kingdom is going to be divided between those two secular kings nations. It's amazing how many people just are going through life not giving much attention at all to the eternal spiritual things, thinking that I got time. I got plenty of time. Everything's fine. I could take care of what I need to take care of when the time's right. 
that there's writing on the wall for all of us. Our days are numbered. There's only so much time. So let's use the time wisely. Let's make use of the time in the way God would want us to use this life that he's given us. Every day is precious, friends. Every moment of life is a gift. It should not be wasted. It should be used in the right ways, in the best ways. And so for the rest of our time today, I want us to look at uh, some steps we could take that are all scriptural, and they will help us manage our time better so we're not so stressed out, even though the writing's on the wall, even though we know our days are numbered, we don't have to be stressed out about it if we're using life the way God has designed it to be used, if we're living it the way God designed it to be lived, because it will take us to that next life that's even better if we are managing this life well. So let's look at the first thing here that we can do to relieve some of the stress, even knowing our days are numbered. The first thing is this, refocus your life on what matters most. Refocus on what matters most. Now I say refocus because it's a constant battle to do this. It's an ongoing refocusing that we have to do. We've talked about this before, but the idea is this. We know if we sit down and make a list of what really matters, we're going to put some good things at the top of the list, right? The things that we say really matter. But what happens is, is we get stressed out by other things, and they get our attention, and they get our focus, and so we have to constantly refocus ourselves on what really matters most. Well, what are those things? What are the things that really matter? Well, relationships matter, don't they? For the time that you got here, don't, shouldn't relationships matter? I mean, aren't those important? In Ecclesiastes 4, verse 12, it says this, Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. He's talking about how our lives intersect with others. We're designed that way. We're meant to function that way. COVID played a, a, a trick on that, didn't it? Where we had to isolate even more. We couldn't connect as much face-to-face -face in person. And, and it became more of an effort to even do that. And I have noticed this. Sue Ann's noticed it, too, in the workplace and all. Here's what happens a lot of times. Even though we're getting back together, it's almost like we're still not used to being with other people again very well. And so we're not speaking to each other as much. We're not as friendly. You know, when people were having to wear masks everywhere, you couldn't really hear as well. You couldn't, you couldn't see the expressions on their face. And so a lot of times people would just walk past each other. You didn't even recognize each other half the time with a mask on. And so people weren't interacting as much even after we started getting back together. And now we see in places, in public places now, people aren't being as friendly or as interactive as they used to be. But we're designed for relationship. We're designed for relationship with God and with each other in the body of Christ, but with the world too. Now, we're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. That's a distinction we need to have as Christ followers, but we are still designed to interact with the people in the world. I mean, how else are we going to influence them? How else are we going to, to help them find their way to Jesus if we're not interacting with them? We have to do some of that, but we've got to refocus on relationships. We've got to get back to making relationships an important thing in our lives. That's a good use of time. If you're married, should you focus on your marriage? Absolutely. If you have children, should you focus on relationship with your kids, kids with their parents, right? Those relationships, are, you got some friends? I hope you do. If you don't, you need to make some. That's why life groups in a church are such a big deal. 
We need to have connections and interactions with each other as followers of Jesus and brothers and sisters in Christ. We're supposed to be a family, right? Interact with each other. You can do some of that on Sundays, but you can't really do a lot of that just in the short time we're together on Sundays in a bigger group. So relationships are a big deal. They matter. Well, another thing that matters, that should matter, is purpose. What is your life purpose? That matters, doesn't it? If you only have so much time, if the writing's on the wall, then what's our purpose while we're here? Well, why, do, why do we even exist? Why do we have the time that we do have? I love how Paul described this in Acts 20, verse 24. He said this, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. What's that? The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now, when we say purpose, life purpose, a lot of times we're thinking about career or job, and those things are a big deal, and, and they can help you fulfill your purpose. But there's an overriding purpose that we have as Christ followers, and it is to testify to the goodness of the grace of God in Jesus. With the time you've got, how much of that are we doing? How much of our time are we using for that purpose? That's the highest and holiest purpose we could have, right? to testify to God's grace, his plan of salvation, to bring people to know and follow Jesus. That's our purpose. Now, you can fulfill that with other careers and jobs that you're in, and that's your mission field that God's given you opportunities to interact with other people. Remember, relationships are important. But with those relationships, the most important thing is to testify to the goodness of God. Have you been bragging on God lately? Have you been bragging on Jesus lately and what he's done for you and who he is? Have you been doing any of that? Because that's the best use of the time. The writing's on the wall, friends. With the time that we've got, how much time are we spending with that? And of course, eternity matters. You want to refocus your life on what matters? Well, eternity matters most. We lose sight of it because we're measuring time here so much on earth and our life here on earth. But when you look at the big picture, our time on earth is just a fraction of our lives. We're going to spend much more time after this than we spend here on earth in this existence. I mean, eternity is after, you know, we're already in eternity, but we don't feel that way because we have limited time in this existence. But we're already eternal beings, and our experience will go on much longer after this than it did while we were here. So wouldn't it make sense if that handwriting is on the wall that our time here is going to be ending soon? Shouldn't we be wise, wouldn't we be wise to use this time to prepare for the rest of our lives? Shouldn't we be preparing, using this time to prepare for the rest of our lives after this? because that's going to be a whole lot longer. In Matthew 13, beginning with verse 44, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. When we recognize the value of eternal life in Christ, we will be willing to give up anything and everything to have that. The writing's on the wall. Eternity's out there. Your eternal destination will be determined by what we do with this time. Are we acknowledging Jesus as Lord? Are we, are we following him as a disciple of Jesus? What are we doing with this time to prepare for eternity? 
It's not about earning salvation. That's not what we're talking about. It's about living life in light of the fact that God gives us salvation as a gift. How do we live? How do we respond to that and live life like that as we prepare for eternity? So refocus your life on what really matters the most. Well, the second step is this. To do that well, we have to do another step, and that is to reduce the non-essentials that we get caught up in. Reduce the non-essentials so you can have more time invested in the things that really matter. How do you give more time to relationships? How do you give more time to uh, purpose? How do you give more time to focus on the eternal things? By reducing the non-essentials. I'll give you an order to do it in, okay? The non-essentials to get rid of. The first one is the bad things in your life. You got any stuff you're doing right now that you shouldn't be doing? I mean, let's be honest, that you know you shouldn't be doing, okay? That according to God's Word, you shouldn't be doing. That's how you judge that, right? Not the opinions of others, not, not, not your own personal opinion, but what does God say about it? There's some things God says are wrong. There's sin. You don't need to be participating in those things. That's where you start. You eliminate those activities from your life. Now, I'm not saying it's easy. You, we're all going to need God's help. We're going to need His grace. We're going to need His presence and His power. But that's the first thing to start on. If you want to get a little more time freed up, then get rid of the stuff you shouldn't be doing that you're doing right now. And it can be different for everybody, and nobody, nobody's uh, bad stuff they're doing is any worse than anybody else's bad stuff they're doing. It's all bad stuff. It's all sin. There are no categories of that. So anything sinful needs to be eliminated from the regular practice of our lives. In fact, the Bible says if we willingly choose to go on sinning, there remains no more a sacrifice for our sins. Let's quit willingly choosing to go on in sin. That's, that's abusing the grace of God. So we start there. James 1.21, it says this, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Uh, when it says get rid of, you know what that means? Get rid of, yeah. Very good. You guys are smart. Get rid of it. Get it out of your life. That's the first place to start. The second thing is what I call the neutral things that are taking up too much of your time. The neutral things are the things that God doesn't specifically say are wrong or evil. And you're free to do those things if you choose to do them. But, but listen to this principle in 1 Corinthians 10, 23. I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. Just because you can doesn't mean you what? Should. Maybe that's taking up too much of your life. It's not a bad thing. It's not a sinful thing, but it's taking up too much of your life, keeping you from focusing on relationships like you need to, keeping you from focusing on the eternal things that you need to be focused on. You're spending too much time on those things. I'll give you an example. Hmm, social media. I've gone to meddling now, haven't I? It's easy to get caught up on the stream, isn't it? I mean, you just want to look at one post, maybe respond to it, but then what do you do? You just keep going. I, it happens to me too. If I, uh, I, I'm on social media, and I post things regularly for the church and, and those things. I do that, but, but it's easy to get caught up in that. You could, you, before you know it, an hour's gone by, and you've been on there 
on Facebook or, or uh, Instagram or TikTok or wherever you're going, right? You're, you're on there a lot. Let's take it out. By the way, you can get reports of screen time on your phone or your, or your electronic device to show you how much time you're spending of your life doing those things. You see that time that they're telling you you were doing that? That's your life. That's your life you were using for that. And the writing's on the wall. You only have so much time. Online gaming has become huge. It's not a sin to play games online. But I know people who will be up to 3, 4 in the morning playing games online with other people, and they got to get up and go to work the next day. Is that a good use of your time? God's not going to send you to hell for playing online games, but is that the best use of the time you've got when the writing's on the wall? And you only have so much time. You see, you have to make choices. We keep saying we don't have enough hours in the day, but what are we doing with the hours we got, that we have? You could do better use of the time, maybe. So those are the neutral things. We can eliminate some of those neutral things. I'm not saying that's easy either, but you got to make some choices that aren't always easy to make to free up yourself to do the things that really matter in your life. And the list could go on. That's, that's just a few, a couple of examples, okay? Then there's even the category of the good things. There are some things that are good, but you're giving so much time to those good things that you're neglecting the better things. You follow me? They're good. But there's some things that it would be better for you to be doing even than those things. And sometimes that's another choice we have to think about making. As our church got larger, uh, I, when I came, we had 40-something people. So it, it began to grow and get larger, and it was, uh, God was blessing us, and uh, it was great. But here's what happens in the world of the church when your church is growing and getting bigger, is all of a sudden you hear from people you've never heard from asking you to come speak or come to a seminar or, or, or come teach a workshop, you know, these different things. And boy, that's flattering when you haven't had that before, and now they're calling you and saying, uh, we see your church is doing well, we, we're needing some help, would you come, you know, speak at this or do that? And, and that started happening to me on a regular basis. And are those bad things, right? No, those are good things. And it's a compliment when they call you and ask you to do those things, and it's flattering to you when you start getting those calls. But here's the thing. You only have so much time. And I was the pastor at Lakeshore Christian Church. It would be easy for me to do a lot of other good things and say yes to all those invitations to do those good things but all of a sudden, if I did too much of that, what would happen to the better thing, the thing I was supposed to be focusing on? It would begin to be neglected, right? I wouldn't be giving as much time to the thing that I was supposed to be doing. So I had to very quickly learn to manage my schedule better, to say yes to only a limited number of things. I've been invited to be on boards and, and you know, be part of this group or that group and do things, and I just had to say, I'm only going to be on one board, I'm only going to do that. You know, I just had to put limits on it. And, and good organizations still call and say, would you serve on our board? Uh, I got to tell you, we were at the event, the community event, uh, a couple of Saturdays ago, uh, and three organizations came over to our booth and got me over to the side and said, we want to meet with you. Uh, I'll represent this school or this organization. We want to meet with you and see how we can partner with you, right? 
Well, I know what they want. They want support. They want finances. They want people to help out. But, and and it's, they're all good things. But you have to say no to some good things to do the better things. I love it how people all have an agenda in their mind of what they think the church ought to do. You think the church ought to do this. You ought to be doing that. You ought to be. But no church can do all those things. You've got to focus on the better things, the most important things that the church is supposed to be doing. It's not politics. It's not social engineering. It's bringing people to Jesus. That's the better thing. Let's get focused on the things that really matter. So even some of the good things, Philippians 1 verse 9, he says this, Paul's uh, prayer is this, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That you can understand and know what is best and get focused on those things, even with all the other good things you could be doing. Let's focus on the best things. So you begin by reducing the non-essentials in all of those categories. And then it leads to the third thing. As you're refocusing, you're getting rid of those things that, that you don't have to do and choose the better things. It helps you then do the third thing, which is reprioritize your life then. You reprioritize your life. Here's the thing about reprioritizing your life. If you don't do it, someone else will. They will do it for you. They will get you connected to all the things they want you to be doing and put those expectations on you to do what they think you should be doing. If you don't set it for yourself, other people will set it for you. And a lot of people right now are caught up and stressed out because they're doing all this stuff people talked them into doing and expected them to do for them. Maybe you're one of those people. Maybe you're right now being controlled by other people instead of making the choice yourself for what you believe God wants for you and what you need to be doing. 1 Corinthians 7, 23, it says this. It's a great reminder. You are bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Did you catch that? Now, he's talking about sometimes in that uh, context, actual literal bond slavery, but he's not just talking about that. He's talking about don't put yourself in a place where you're being controlled by people who are not supposed to be in control of you. Who's supposed to be in control of you in your time? God. Don't let yourself be enslaved by someone other than God who's supposed to be in control of your life. And some of us are allowing others to control us. You're too worried about what other people think and what other people's expectations are and not concerned enough about what God thinks and what he would want your priorities to be. We've got to make some adjustments there. So we have to learn to reprioritize our life because if we don't do it, other people will. Here's the thing, too. It's a principle that I learned a long time ago. Order, order of things determines capacity. Order determines capacity. I, I, I've used this illustration before. I'm not going to do it again today. But, but you've probably seen the illustration of the big rocks in a, in a, in a jar. If you're going to fill up a jar... And you've got some big rocks to put in there. Now, the big rocks would be the most important things in your life. We've already talked about relationships, right? Eternal things, those things. Those are the big rocks, okay? Here's the thing. If you put too many little things in there first, what, what are you not going to have room for? The big rocks. Yeah. You won't be able to get them in there. They won't fit anymore because you put so many other things in there already. 
You've not left room for the big rocks. But if you change the order and you put the big rocks in there first, then you can only put in so many other things that aren't as important as the big rocks, but that's okay because they're not the essential things anyway. Make sure you get the big rocks in there first. So when you're ordering your time and what you're going to give your time to, list the most important things first. Give them the priority with your time because that determines the capacity of being able to do the most important things the way you want to. Jesus talked about that principle a lot in Matthew 6, verse 31. He said, so do not worry saying, what are we going to eat or drink? What do we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But here's the order. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all those things will be given to you as well. Right? The big rocks first. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. Get that in there first, into your time, into your energy into your resources. Put that first on what you're going to invest there. Then you can do the other good things. You can put those in as they fit around the most important things. And yes, there'll be a limitation. Everybody has limitations. You, nobody can do everything. But make sure in your limitations you've got the big rocks in there first within your limitations. Now, Parents, I, I just want to give you a word of caution when you're talking about time schedule and everything. If you've got kids right now, there are kids who have a personality who will sign up for everything. Maybe your kid's that way. If it's being offered and they have sign-ups for it, they will sign up. But you as a parent have to have the big rocks in place so that you say, well, look, we can only fit so many things in around the most important things. So you will have to say no to some of those things and yes to only the best of those things. Because not only will you get stressed out, friends, studies are showing our kids are more stressed out than they've ever been before. Because parents are pushing them to do everything all the time and signing them up for all these different things. And they're stressed out trying to keep up with it. Of course they say they want to do it until it all piles up and they can't keep up with it anymore. And it's stressing them out. And parents are supposed to protect their kids from, from doing that to their lives. That's part of our role. So let's stop putting more into their lives than what really fits well into their lives. So order determines capacity with your kids too. Make sure the kingdom of God and his righteousness is the big rock for your kids too. Don't neglect church and the things of church and the teachings of the church and the programs of the church for all the other things. They're all good things, a lot of them, but they're not the most important things for your kids. They're not. And I know we love seeing our kids playing in that music thing and playing in that sports game and doing all those things. I did too. I love that with my kids and I love having that time with my kids, but they are not the most important things for your kids. We have to learn that. The things of the kingdom of God are the more important things. Those are the big rocks. Don't push out the big rocks to put in the smaller ones in your kids' lives either. Well, I want to close with this one. If you want to not be so time-stressed, then you've got to start right now making the changes. Because here's what happens. We're so busy, I'll get to that later. Right? I, I took notes. I heard Pastor Randy's message. Uh, I've got the outline. I know what he said. I know what I'm supposed to do. And we lay it off to the side, and what happens? We don't ever get back to it. We don't ever get back to taking the actual steps 
It won't get any better till you take the steps. That's the way it works. You have to start now taking the steps. But I'm going to tell you the first step is not reprioritize your life. The first step is not neglecting or getting rid of the non-necessities. The first step is not any of those other things on the list. The first step is found in Matthew 11, beginning with verse 28. It says this, Jesus speaking, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find, what's that word? Rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You want to de-stress your life, get yoked up with Jesus. That's the most important step, the first step to take. If there's anybody here today who hasn't done that, hearing the message today that hasn't taken that step, don't start trying all the other steps until you get this step. Because he's, that relationship with him, being yoked with him, that's the place to start finding the rest that you're looking for. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you that in Christ, being yoked together with him, we can find the rest, the life, the energy, the resources, all that we need to live life to the full as you design life to be lived. Father, we, we allow ourselves to get so stressed out when we don't have to. And it all begins with trusting in you and relying on you and not ourselves. We don't need to bear all the weight of the world on our shoulders when, Jesus, you've already done that for us. So help us to be yoked with you, Jesus. Help us to walk daily with you by our side, helping us to determine priorities, help, guiding us in the path that you want us to follow, leading us to the joy and life that you designed us to have. It's our prayer in his name. Amen.